In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Well, well, well. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the last podcast where we got into an in-depth idea or multiple ideas of supply chains and eugenics in a world that seems to be changing in a way reminiscent of old ideas. Does that make sense? I guess... What I'm trying to say in a way to segue into this new idea I have is to talk just a little bit more about the old idea. And the old idea is this world of boomer ideology and the old ways. It seems to me there's a lot of talk about the fourth turning and the fourth industrial revolution. And what it comes down to is cycles. And there's no, I don't want to get into people being evil or angry or racist or I think what's probably more likely is that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. I think we've all heard that before. And what we're seeing right now is in fact the retirement of a large group, probably the largest group, the boomers are retiring And so were their ideas. And it's not that even though Gen X, Y, Zoomers, Millennials, they tend to look at these older people in positions of authority and power and think to themselves, how can these people do what they do? Do they not see the level of destruction that they are bringing down upon the world? Do they not understand the level of poverty they are bringing to the future people of this planet, do they not care? And it's a valid point. However, it's not that those people don't care. It's just that those ideas are the only idea. Those were their ideas. They don't have new ideas. They only have their ideas. And their ideas of what worked in the past logically should work in the future. When you're set in your ways, it's very difficult for you to see things differently. And that's why things are changing. And that's why there is this old world and nothing seems to be working. The dollar, the military might of the United States, this idea of globalization, this idea of stakeholder capitalism, These are all really old ideas that never truly came to fruition in the way the people thought they would come into fruition. You look at Klaus Schwab, Henry Kissinger, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. You look at all these old people that did their best 
to try and do what they thought was right. I don't agree with a lot of what they did. However, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they did what they thought was right. And they are dying. And so are their ideas. It's cyclical. And now we're moving into this new, brave new world where it is possible that if we don't remember our past, we're doomed to repeat it in the future. Let me read to you a quick little excerpt of what I'm talking about. And I think it lends credence and evidence to that this argument is something that's been with us forever. Unity and division within appearance. A lively new debate about the concepts. One divides into two and two fuse into one. This is unfolding on a philosophical front in every country. This debate is a struggle between those who are for and those who are against the materialistic dialectic. A struggle between two conceptions of the world, the proletarian and bourgeois conception. Those who maintain that one divides into two is the fundamental law of things are on the side of the materialistic dialectic. Those who maintain that the fundamental law of things is that two fuse into one are against the materialistic dialectic. The two sides have drawn a clear line of demarcation between them and their arguments are diametrically opposed. This polemic reflects on the ideological level the acute and complex class struggle taking place in China and in the world. This is a passage from The Red Flag of Peking, September 21st, 1964. I want you to think about those two struggles. The struggle between two classes. One divides into two or two fuse into one. Think about that for a minute. Does one divide into two? Can you cut it in half and each person gets half? Or do two fuse into one? It's an interesting concept to think about. It's capitalism. It's communism. It is... It's life. It's the yin and the yang. And depending where you're at in your life probably depends on where you think you fall in those lines of demarcation. Everyone's heard the quote that when you're young, if you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. And when you're old, if you're not a Republican, you don't have a brain. It's not that you don't have a heart or a brain. It's not that you're the scarecrow or the lion. It's just that you must be on both sides of this argument at one point in your life in order to truly understand that there is no solution to this problem. There is only acceptance of it. Does that make sense? To take a hard line and always say, no, we must take from this and give to these. Or on the flip side to say, we must circle our wagons, become one. Like you got to be on both sides. You have to have lived both of those experiences to truly understand the argument. And once you've lived both of those experiences, you know that there's no right answer. There is no right answer. There's only what's right for you and the people around you. Taken to the extreme, that's human nature. That's why we have chaos. That's why we have greed. That's why we have oppression. But it's those same forces, greed and oppression and selfishness that give way 
to inspiration, the give way to the eye of the tiger, if you will. Natural selection. So let me speak a little bit about the new world that I see forming. And I think it's unique. I think Gen Xers, you know, people born after the boomers, before the millennials, I think we have a really rare idea of what the world looks like. Most of us are pretty cynical because we've seen our parents go through their life and tell us about this world in which they lived, but it wasn't really our world. And we've seen this new class of kids come up and have it in a way where everybody got a trophy and everybody got this. And we, as like the small group of Gen Xers, realize like, dude, that's never going to work. But then we look at our parents' group and we're like, that didn't work. That's ridiculous. That's a stupid old idea. And then we look at this new group and we're like, Jesus Christ, you're so fucking naive. That's not going to work either. You know, I, I once heard a quote that said, if you scratch a cynic, you'll find an old idealist. And I think that's true. I think that the majority of people in my age group are people that want to believe in these ideals that are close or at least have family members that can remember the 50s. But yet, we know that that's not reality. We also know that it's not going to be kumbaya, everybody's equal, and we're all going to be millionaires. Like, that's not it either. So that being said, let's talk about this new digital world in which the new world is forming. I call it the, it's like finding a new continent. It's like sailing across cyberspace and finding a whole new continent to be explored. And what is this new continent in cyberspace? It's Bitcoin. It's cryptocurrencies. It's NFTs. It is the abstract idea of money personified. The old idea of money was a medium of exchange. The new idea of money is a abstract store of value. You see, they're exactly the same, only different. Let's look at what happened to money in in the last 50 years, right? It used to be that money, at least the dollar, and then currencies based on the dollar were exchanged for its worth in gold. And once that happened, once, when that happened, things were well. However, once taken off the gold standard, all of a sudden it just became a piece of paper. That piece of paper could be printed and moved about. And it's no longer money. It's a note. But the note is only backed by the might, by the guns, by the threat of death from the government. Well, what happens when the amount of money it takes to pay the person who does the threatening becomes so extreme, it's no longer worth it. You know what I mean by that? The U.S. government has to pay the defense industry and the military industrial complex so much money to go around the world and enforce that everyone use the dollar that it's no longer worth it. It's no longer worth it. It's an old idea and it's dying. You know, what if 
Do you guys remember back around the turn of the century when doctors would operate in the in the infancy of doctors operating on humans? There was a time when English gentlemen, English gentlemen doctors thought that it was incredibly foolish to wash their hands before or after surgery. Gentlemen, a gentleman didn't do that. They didn't need to. However, children and patients alike began dying after childbirth, during childbirth, during operations, and doctors could not seem to figure out what that was. What it was, what it was determined to be was that germs from the doctor's hands from not being washed were being introduced into the body. Instruments that doctors were using to cut open individuals during operations were in fact contaminating the patient, infecting the impatient, causing large-scale infections which caused death. It was, it was determined that it was the unsanitary conditions that were causing the rash of death in patients, be it childbirth or complications around the turn of the century. That's what they figured out. Oh, I guess not washing your hands, not sterilizing your hands, not sterilizing the environment, or not sterilizing your instruments can lead to infection. It's toxic. It's toxic to the body to not sterilize the instruments you're using to open up the body. And if you have toxic instruments, then you will not be able to successfully operate. Does that make sense? The unsanitary conditions, the unsanitary environment, but mostly the unsanitary instruments, be it your hands or the scalpel, if you're a doctor, causes you to infect and kill that which you were operating on. You got it? That is what money has been almost forever. It's an unsanitary instrument. It never works. Well, let me put it this way. It never works for working people. It does work if you're someone like the Rothschild banking dynasty who says, I care not who makes the rules, but who prints the money. Then it works for you. You see, if you understand how to wield an unsanitary instrument, if you understand that your toxic instrument will kill people, then you have a power to kill people. And that's what banks are. Banks are the ruthless, unscrupulous doctors wielding a dirty scalpel on the proletariat people of the world. You get it? They understand that they have toxic instruments and they want to use them. In fact, they go around and tell everyone, this is the tool you need to solve your nation's problems. We have this dirty scalpel that can cut away the cancerous poor people of your population. And we figured it out. Well, someone figured it out. I don't claim to be the person that figured out. I'm just relaying the message. A cryptocurrency. A decentralized network. Becomes a sanitary, a sterilized scalpel. It takes the dirty instrument from the people in power and hands it over to the individual who can take the necessary precautions to operate effectively and efficiently without the permission of the money changers. You see, this is the foundation on which the new world is being built. There's a lot of promise. The decentralization has a lot of promise for the people to live in a world without the threat of monetary confinement, without the threat of monetary exclusion, or without the threat 
of poverty. And it is this decentralization. It is the starfish versus the spider. It is the urban warfare versus the Roman legions. It is the opportunity of a millennia. Let me give you an example of what decentralization and sanitary instruments can do to the world in which we live. And I think after I begin painting these pictures, I think that you will begin to see the canvas be filled with opportunity. Imagine a talented singer in the boomer world. He makes a video or he goes to an audition. He is found by a scout. The scout works for a recording agency or a record label. They bring in the talent. They bring in the kid. The kid begins to put out an album. The kid or the band or the person performing is signed to like a five or six album deal of which they make 10% maybe of the profits. And the rest goes to the middleman. It goes to the scout. It goes to the recording agency. It goes to the record label. The long-term profits of that album forever could be locked up in the digital rights of that company. So there's all these people, all these middlemen, managers, feeding off the very person that produced the music. While the actual producer of the music gets but a small sliver of that which he produced. In the new world, the band, the kid, creates an NFT, a non-fungible token. And for those of you that don't know what that is, just think of a recording, a picture, whatever your product is, it's yours. And you're, you are the record label, you are the person with the royalties, and you are the person with the rights. And now you have a means of distribution. So there's no longer this, there's no, the, the platforms, be it Facebook, YouTube, be it Telegram or whatever platform you use, Twitter, whatever your platform is now the talent scout. You take your ideas straight to the world. You no longer need a talent scout. You no longer need a talent agency. You no longer need a record label. You no longer need a recording room. Instead, you as the individual are in fact the creator. And your creator can be released to the world. Effectively cutting off the vipers and the leeches that want to suck all your royalties and all your money from you. That's the promise of Bitcoin. That's the promise of a decentralized institution. That is the promise of a sanitary, monetary instrument. That is the promise of a sterilized monetary instrument. So that's a very, it's in the beginning, like it takes a little while to think about that. And if you're a little bit older and you just see cryptocurrency or you see this wave of monetization via digitalization, you don't understand it because you've never lived in it, because you've never even thought of it, because it's a new concept and because for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, you've lived a certain way. So it's very difficult for you to see this new way. And if you even do begin to see it, it's really easy to say things like, that'll never work. There's nothing behind it. It doesn't hold anything. That's usually the ideas or the rebuttals and or arguments of modern day politicians, banking officials, money changers, middlemen. Everyone says, look at Bitcoin decentralizing, there's nothing behind it, it won't work. 
That's because A, they don't want it to work and B, they don't understand how it works. But if you ask a millennial, hey, what is this Bitcoin? What is this cryptocurrencies? You'll see stars in their eyes and you will see if you talk to somebody, a young person who understands it and you take a moment to look in their eyes, you can actually see the reflection of a new world being built inside their mind. You can see the freedom. You can see the unchecked ultimate opportunity to build something no one's ever seen before. Limitless, limitless, limitless. That is the promise of this new world. And on one level, here's another example. Yesterday, Jerome Powell, for those of my friends in Europe, he is this Federal Reserve president of our central bank, who is arguably much more powerful than the president or any single government official we have in the United States. And I would argue that the Federal Reserve is, in fact, a de facto government, not only of the United States, but the Bank of International Settlements, the banking institutions on hold, are, in fact, the governing body of the planet. And so yesterday, Jerome Paul gets up and he speaks to the world about our economic system. He speaks to the world of interest, inflation, deflation. And he says that basically that they have, they have now figured out a way to magically manipulate the monetary system so that there's never a depression again like a wizard, like an alchemist. He's created a world where inflation no longer matters to him or the people in which he truly serves. And those people are usually people of means that were born into lots of money that have the ability to move money around and not really make anything. The central banks speak to the class of people that were the previous middlemen, the leeches, the money changers, the vipers of our society. The Federal Reserve and the banks, you know, like attracts like, water seeks its own level. So here's this older gentleman with his antiquated ideas talking about how he's going to use his old ideas to solve old world problems. And most people pay attention to him. And the people that pay attention to him are beginning to worry because they say, Jerome, central banking is a problem. This inflation's coming. There's going to be deflation. We can't just pay people. We can't print trillions of dollars. And he's like, yeah, we can. And there's this huge debate and people are worried. They're losing their houses. They don't know where to put it. They know their money's losing value. And a lot of these people are really stressed and worried about life. That's the old world. That's the world that's dying. And think about it. The banks are boomers. The economy is boomers. The central banking board of directors are boomers. And all their ideas are boomers. And they are dying. So are their ideas. Thus, that world they live in is dying. It's kind of sad. And that's the one foot in that world that we talked about in the last podcast supply chains and and eugenics and banking and those issues what we talked about last time the new world is exciting it's fascinating that you can create a non-fungible token put it into cyberspace and maybe make a million dollars you can be an artist let me tell you about this that you may not know about let's say you're an artist and you create a piece of art be it in a a meme or a painting or a digital painting or a song or a poem or something digital and you release it to the world with whatever price you want. Guess what? You can set parameters where you will get paid on that piece of art forever. You will get a royalty on that art forever. Imagine a beautiful Van Gogh painting that gets sold from Van Gogh to 
the salon for the first time. He probably doesn't make that much money. And then only after that, once he's sold that painting, now he's got to make another one and sell that one. He gets paid one time. And that painting increases in value when it moves from collector to collector to collector. And every time it moves, it generates more revenue for the previous holder. With these new digitalization of artwork, you as the creator can set the parameters in which you or your holder or your family will get paid forever. Let's say I'm the Van Gogh and I say, you know what? I'm going to create this digital rights and I want to make 30% of whatever this thing is sold for every single time it gets sold. Well, in order to unlock the digital rights, the person has to pay me the one-time fee of what the painting is worth. And if that collector in the future would like to sell that particular piece of art to someone else, then I, because it's in the code, even if I'm dead, that 30% will still go to the person that holds the keys to that artwork. You're, for the first time in history, we are, we have found a way to send energy into the future. Think about right now, if you have a little bit of money and you're a boomer or you're just, you've worked hard your whole life and you find yourself knocking on death's bed and you want to leave something to your child before you die. In, a, in the United States, you can give $10,000 to your kid without paying taxes on it. Anything after that, you got to start paying taxes. Imagine that you've worked your whole life and you want to give money away to people you love and the government says, you cannot do that. You must pay us. You must pay us. In America, it's fucking crazy. I work, I get a paycheck for a living and money comes out of my check before it even comes to me. I got money that comes out of my check. It goes to the state. It goes to the federal government. It goes to insurance agencies and then I get what's left over. And then I got to pay taxes on my groceries, my house, my electricity. I got to pay fucking taxes on every goddamn thing. But what if, what if I stop participating in that system? And sure, you know what? I get my paycheck. I still got to pay the, I got to pay the state. I got to pay the government. But once they give me, once I get what's left over, I take all that money and I put it in Bitcoin. I put it in a digital currency. I put it in a cryptocurrency. I buy an NFT. Now that money is no longer available for the government or the state to take. Let's say I've done that for a few years. And because the price of digital currency is going up 200% year over year, the little amount of money that I've made from the old system I plug into the new monetary system and it begins to grow at a rate of 200%. And guess what? Because I don't hold that money in a state institution or any institution at all, because I have my money that I earned in my savings account, in my cyberspace, and I hold the keys. I don't know. I don't need to go ask a banker to get my money. I don't need to ask for permission to give it. I don't need to ask for permission to solve it. I don't need to tell people what I'm buying. Now I find myself on death's door, and I got a few years to live. I can give. Let's say I have tons of money. I can give a million dollars to my daughter, a million dollars to my son, a million dollars to my nephew, and I can do it with a click of a button. And there's no politician. There's no political individual. There's no union. There's nobody that cuts in front of me and says, whoa, 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 you can't do that. There's nobody that cuts in front of me with their hand out and says, I want some of that. Right? Go fuck yourselves. This is mine. I earned it. I played by your rules. I went to your institutions. I paid you. Now this is mine. Get the fuck away from me. I'm doing what I want with it. This new world, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be crazy because I think humankind is beginning to become adults. We can't be children and live in this fucking fantasy land of, hey, we're all equal. Kumbaya, la, la. We got to help everyone. Get the fuck out of here. That's not how it works. It's not 
how it works. The people that start helping everybody usually become the person that gets shit on because they're not doing enough. That's why the most... That's why the richest people in the world, you don't even know their names. They figured it out. They figured it out. And it's, it's important to understand this because the shit that's about to come down the pipe in this new world is going to be the nightmares of what happened in the old world. Right? For a long time, I think that the old world, the old ideas did what they could to try and protect everybody from the nightmares. And in some ways, I'm really glad that a lot of those old stupid ideas are dying. But it doesn't change the fact that the people coming up in the new world need to come up with new solutions to face the nightmare. If you look at the old ideas, think of them as like a grandfather or a spirit that protected you. And now it's your turn. If you're a millennial, if you're a Gen Xer, if you are a Zoomer, you know, the old world did what they could. We may not agree with it, but now it's our turn to face it. Okay, so let's try and take a look at the old world through a set of fresh eyes. And let's talk a little bit about where we left off in the last podcast with eugenics. There's a lot of people, a lot. And if we don't do something, the level of corruption, the level of anguish and torture in the countries that have too many people is going to be devastating. So one option is to not do anything. In the West, we could just build up a huge fence and get rid of all these people. Hey, you guys stay outside the fence. But eventually, history has shown us walls that are meant to keep people out eventually begin to be walls that imprison you. So it's probably not a good idea. The second idea was tried, if you look at Germany, if you look at the integration, like the the baby boomers, the, the, the greatest generation, the people with, like, when I see Germany and what they did with the migrant crisis, like, you can't, like, it's heartwarming. It's awesome that you tried to integrate everybody, but you can't. Congratulations, you tried it. It's not working. So what do you do? Well, if you continue to do what you're doing now, you're going to end up with the same result that you used to have. Right? I think it was Einstein who said that the definition of insanity is doing things over and over again and accept and expecting a different result. So if you continue to try to hand out freebies and healthcare and open your heart to the to the people that have less than you, they're going to fucking take you over and kill you eventually. And this is a weird journey for me because I don't want to sound like I am pro hardcore capitalist or hardcore right because I'm not. I'm not. I just want to make the argument that can you see from someone else's point of view? Can you truly just stop for a minute and imagine what it's like to be someone who comes from a third world country into a rich country and seeing how awesome it is and how much more opportunity there is? If that's you, if that's me, I'm going to do everything I can to get my family into a country to give them more opportunity. That's what we want, right? We want the world to be better. But what happens when you try and force a group of people who are used to having a lot What happens when you force them to have little so that other people can have more? Force morality
is still force. If you go into a group and say, listen, you have too much. We need to give some of your shit to other people. Good luck taking it. Good luck. But that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And there's going to be all kinds of answers. The eugenics answer you're seeing is forced sterilization right now. It's happening right in front of you. And they're coming for your kids. I mean, they don't even know what the fuck half of these vaccines do. Here's a little tidbit for you. I just saw an interview with Fauci today where he talked about all three of the vaccines in the United States, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson. They have been given the access to the public via the FDA. There's an emergency procedure that allowed the vaccines to be used. But they're not approved. You understand? None of these vaccines are approved. But they're allowed. Another way to say that is the pharmaceutical companies have found a way to get out of the regulations previously imposed on them. Another way to say that is corporate powers have taken over the government. Right? And some people say, oh, well, listen, man, there's too many regulations, George. Government strangles innovation. Maybe. Maybe they do sometimes. But unchecked corporate power leads to the IBM punch card system, which can be great for inventory and killing Jews. And it's like, it's like these, it's like people don't get that. Like, this is a great technology for this. Let's use it for that. You know, technology can tend to take away all our humanity. For every good thing technology gives you, it takes something away. And I think that technology is making things more mechanistic, but taking away our humanity. Okay, so here's, here is a little excerpt that continues to, I think, maybe bridge the gap between the old world and the new world. The unity and division. And the appearance of unity and division. Here we go. The society which carries the spectacle does not dominate the underdeveloped regions by its economic hegemony alone. It dominates them as the society of the spectacle. Even where the material base is still absent, modern society has already invaded the social surface of each continent by means of the spectacle. It defines the program of the ruling class and presides over its formation, just as it presents pseudo-goods to be coveted. It offers false models of revolution to local revolutionaries. The spectacle of bureaucratic power, which holds sway over some industrial countries, is an integral part of the total spectacle. It's general pseudo-negation and support. The spectacle displays certain totalitarian specializations of communication and administration when viewed locally. But when viewed in terms of the functioning of the entire system, these specializations merge in a world division of spectacular tasks. The division of spectacular tasks preserves the entirety of the existing order, and especially the dominant pole of its development. The root of the spectacle is within the abundant economy, the source of the fruits which ultimately take over the spectacular market despite the ideological police protectionist barriers of local spectacles aspiring to be in power. Under the shimmering diversions of the spectacle, banalization 
dominates modern society the world over and at every point where the developed consumption of commodities has seemingly multiplied the roles and objects to choose from, the remains of religion and of the family, the principal relic of the heritage of class power, and the moral repression they assure merge whenever the enjoyment of this world is affirmed. This world being nothing other than repressive pseudo-enjoyment. The smug acceptance of what exists can also merge with purely spectacular rebellion. This reflects the simple fact that dissatisfaction itself became a commodity. As soon as economic abundance could extend production to the processing of such raw materials. Let's think about that for a minute. In a world with so much abundance, and I, I'm looking at the West right now. In a world of abundance, where if you live in the United States and you're poor, the government's going to give you $1,400. And it might start being a universal basic income. Like that's abundance. We will give you the money you need to live a life worth living. We will give it to you. That's abundance. But in this world of abundance, everything's a commodity. Everything becomes commodified. And that means even ideas like dissatisfaction become commodities. And you can spend your money on ideas like dissatisfaction. You can spend your money on fake rebellion. In this world of abstract commodification, everything has become a commodity. In this world, everything, every idea and word and move and thought has become a commodity. If it hasn't yet, just try and find one and make it a commodity and you'll be a multi-billionaire. Everything is true, yet nothing is true. Does that make sense? Kind of, right? Let me try to do a better job of explaining the commodification of ideas. The commodification of, of everything. Like what? Like think about copyright laws. Think about the patent laws. Think about you as an individual having a great idea that could help the world and then applying a rule to it so that no one can ever use it. How does that make the world better? What if we patent the wheel? What if we only allowed people to use a wheel if they paid us? You see... The commodification of ideas has led us down a road to nowhere. And that concept has holds both the salvation and the detriment to our future. How do you think about it? What can you do to change it? What does the world look like to you if you hold all the keys? I know sometimes people may not want to think about it. But you are the master of this world. Maybe you do have the right to take people's lives. Maybe you do have the right to invade other countries. Maybe you do have the right to take the resources you need. If not you, then who? 
there's a great quote I heard a while back, and it was from, I think it was the CEO of InBev. For those of you that don't know, InBev is a brewery. I think they're, they're from, I want to say Brazil. I know they're from South America, but they're a brew maker, and they make beer, and they've been around since the 1300s. And I heard this gentleman speaking, and he said this. He says, if you are not at the table, then you're on the menu. Think about it. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. If you listening to this aren't playing a big role in your community, in your family, and in your life, what the fuck is wrong with you? We need you. All of you listening to this, we fucking need you. We need you. You listening to this. We need you. I need you. I love you. Aloha. Aloha everyone, thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast, I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.